And welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast. Today we're asking the question, are Christians completely forbidden from judging by Jesus? We're also reading through Genesis 7, Ezra 7, Matthew 7, and Acts chapter 7. And that means that this is day number 7 of the podcast. We've made it through a week. Now, I have been podcasting since 2005. In 2005, me and a friend of mine, Sam Knowles, uh, were living in the state of Alabama, and we became the first podcast in the state of Alabama with our little nerdy tech talk radio show. Though I've been podcasting for a long time, I value podcasts. I think I'm subscribed uh, and listening to well over 50 podcasts. I'm a huge podcast guy, but I've never tried to do a daily podcast. Daily podcasting is crazy, but it's been beneficial and it's been a good way to keep me focused on reading the word. I really hope it's helpful for you too. I would ask you if it is helpful, leave us a review. Probably the best place to leave a review is on Apple Podcasts. Uh, You can do that through iTunes. You probably more likely could do it through the Apple Podcast app on your phone. Y'all can you can also do it if you're uh, an Android person and you're listening through Google Podcasts or Spotify or anything like that. Reviews are a good way to let people know. Social media posts are a good way to let people know about the show. Uh, it's comments on the website. Those are good ways. I've noticed several people sharing it. Thank you for sharing the show. I believe this is a good way to get the Word of God out to people. I do want to invite you to check our website out, BibleReadingPodcast.com. That's BibleReadingPodcast.com. I put a lot of show notes and uh, almost a transcript of the show up on BibleReadingPodcast.com. I don't put all the scripture there. That's easy enough to find online, and I'm not trying to put the entire Christian Standard Bible up on a blog form, but I do put a lot of the other comments in the transcript of the show there, and you can get that day by day. So when I was a kid growing up, the most well-known Bible verse pretty much to everybody was John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Even people who didn't go to church in that time really knew that Bible verse. You would sometimes see it quoted on TV. Famous athletes would say it. There was this one weird guy that would go around to sporting events and he would hold up the sign and uh, he had lots of imitators that would also hold it up. So you pretty much saw John 3.16 everywhere. But I think that's changed in the last few years. As far as I can tell now, and I guess there's really no way to survey this, but The most well-known Bible verse today, at least to people who would not identify as Christians, is probably Matthew 7-1, where Jesus says, do not judge so that you won't be judged. And that gets us to the main question of the day. Must Christians never judge anything at all? Well, let's read the chapter together, and then we're going to discuss what Jesus is teaching here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, hey, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. First... Take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. 
Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Who among you if his son asks him for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will give him a snake? If you then who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts, good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the wind blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. In a 2013 message, when David Platt, who was the former head of the Southern Baptist uh, International Mission Board, at the time he was the pastor at the church at Brook Hills in Birmingham, he tackled the issue of church discipline, something that is absolutely commanded in Scripture. The thorny question for many people in the church, his church at the time, and many churches, is how can church discipline happen when we are told not to judge each other? It's a great question, and I think Platt gives a great answer. So I'm going to read a little section of from that sermon of 2013 here. This is what Platt says. What about Matthew 7, people ask? Well, keep going to Matthew 7, 5. Yes, Jesus gives us warning about judgment in Matthew 7, 1. But when you keep reading, you hear Jesus say, Why do you see the speck of sin that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log of sin that is in your own eye? First, take the log out of your own eye, and then, follow this, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
That's Matthew 7, 3, and 5. And he continues, The whole implication is that you need to look inward first and humbly examine your own purity so that you can help a brother or sister become pure. People say, well, it's not my place to judge you, and it's not your place to judge me. But we've got to read in 1 Corinthians 5, church, that it is, at times, our place to judge. Look what 1 Corinthians 5, 12 says. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? The question is how. We're going to talk about how in a moment, but suffice to say at this moment that we don't hide behind phrases like, it's not my place to judge, or he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. So since I still sin, I can't say anything. Brother or sister, says Platt, If you see me walking into sin, caught in sin, being pulled into sin, please don't use super spiritual jargon like that with me. Pull me back and let God use the whole deal to sanctify you in the process too. That's what Matthew 7, 1 through 5 is all about. And it's what 1 Corinthians 5 is all about. And when I think about Platt's statements there, his teaching, it reminds me of the passage of Paul's from Galatians 6, 1, where Paul says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. That does show us that sometimes Christians are called to help restore and lead other Christians to repentance when they sin, but it must be done with a gentle and humble spirit. There is never any room in the people of God for what people call judgmentalism or pharisaical attitudes. To kind of give us an illustration of that, Jesus gives a really incredible picture of what a judgmental or pharisaical attitude is like in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous adulterers, or even like this tax collector over there. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So the self-righteous attitude of the Pharisee is always wrong, and it's always at odds with Jesus' commands about judging. However, as Platt has pointed out, there is a time to make judgments among the people of God. And those judgments can and should happen in only one particular area, inside the church, in terms of church discipline. I don't see where Christians are ever given the right or the calling to judge those outside the church. Are there sinners outside the church? Absolutely there are. There are sinners in the church too. What's our message to those outside the church? Is it, stop sinning? And this is where you're sinning? Of course not. That's not the message. That's not going to save them. That's not going to change them. The whole purpose of Jesus coming is because we can't stop sinning. It's absurd. We give the gospel to them and then teach them the teachings of Jesus and the word. We don't tell them, oh, this is all the places you're doing wrong. 
This is why you're a sinner. I mean, we can use the law to show how we're all separated from God, but we give the gospel to those that are outside the kingdom, that are outside of Christ. But there is a time inside the church, a narrow time, I believe that we are called to a type of judgment. Before we discuss that, though, I do need to say a a word about what is not being forbidden by Jesus here. When the Bible is very clear about a certain practice, a lifestyle, a behavior, an attitude of the mind, an action being sinful or whatever, when the Bible is clear about something like that, that it is sinful and against God, it is not even remotely judgmental to teach and practice those biblical truths. Most of society considers people in the church to be judgmental when they proclaim certain truths in the Bible and call people to repent of their sins. While there is a certain way to do this in a pharisaical, arrogant, self-righteous way, that does not necessarily mean the person is being judgmental when they are teaching the truth of the Word of God. For example, John the Baptist John the Baptist had called out Herod the Tetrarch because Herod the Tetrarch was trying to uh, be intimate with his brother's wife. John told him that such behavior was not biblical. Was John the Baptist being judgmental? Absolutely not. He was being righteous and obeying Jesus' other major command on judging, which says, stop judging according to outward appearances, rather judge according to righteous judgment. That's John 7, 24. So we have a command of Jesus to not judge sometimes and a command of Jesus to judge sometimes. Standing on biblical truth in a humble way that is preceded by self-repentance and not accompanied by hypocrisy is not being judgmental. Jesus is not outlawing that. He is not advocating a to-each-his-own kind of philosophy. Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 that Platt quoted earlier in small part is very clear that the church must make judgments when there are people who are claiming the name of Jesus but not living the teachings of Jesus. And Paul writes, I wrote you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister in Christ and is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or verbally abusive, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? In other words, people that are outside the church. Don't you judge those who are inside the church. God judges outsiders. Remove the evil person among you. Now, it is also clear from Scripture that the Word of God is a judge of our actions. Consider Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separating of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Hear this. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So in that one fairly narrow arena of looking out for and calling out sin in the church by people who should be followers of Jesus, Christians are commanded by the word of God to make righteous judgments and to make those judgments in a righteous way. A righteous judgment is one that is done in accordance with the Bible and not in accordance with your opinion. Do you think somebody is wrong for being a vegan, for instance? The Bible tells you not to judge them in Romans 14. It's not your business. Do you think somebody is being unethical and insensitive for eating meat? 
The Bible tells you not to judge them either in Romans 14, because the Bible neither condemns vegetarianism nor meat-eating, then Christians must not pass moral judgment on such things. In areas where the Bible does give clear commands, however, it is unfaithful for us to fail to follow those commands and call other Christians to as well. When we agree with the word that something is a sin, we aren't making an ungodly judgment, we are making a righteous judgment. A righteous judgment is a biblical judgment, but even righteous judgments must be done in a righteous way. The Pharisees, for instance, were biblically right about a lot of things, but their hearts were far away from God. You simply cannot make a judgment if you have not repented of the obvious sin in your life. Otherwise, you'll be a plank eye looking down on a speck eye, and that's foolishness, as Jesus pointed out. Imagine walking around with a log in your eye and looking at somebody else who has a splinter in their eye and telling them what a sinner they are. That is not making a righteous judgment. That's being foolish and prideful. Once God has cleansed the plank from your eye, you will then be in a better place to make a righteous judgment in a righteous way, and you will do so with the humility of somebody who has just had a plank taken out of his eye and not the arrogance of a self-righteous jerk. Frankly, there are too many self-righteous jerks running around in Christian clothing, and they're bringing shame to the name of Jesus. We need more humility in the body of Christ. I need more humility in me. Even though I believe that Jesus allows and even commands for a certain narrow type of making judgments, given the above parameters, I believe the preponderance of Scripture gives us multiple warnings about making judgments. The overarching concern seems to be that Christians walk in humility, not hypocrisy, and be quicker to point the finger at our own sin and repent of it than to point the finger at the sin of others. These scriptures bear that philosophy out and should be a challenge to every fiber of our judgmental, pharisaical, and self-righteous beings. So I'm going to read a few scriptures to you, and then we're going to get into uh, the rest of our reading for the day. But these scriptures really should challenge us in terms of the rarity of making judgments. They're an amplification of Matthew 7, 1, and we should pay attention to these. Romans 14, 2 through 4. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on one who does not eat, and one who does not eat must not judge one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord he stands or falls, and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. Psalm 31, 8-10 through 10, Speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and needy. You're going to see in several of these scriptures that one way we commit to being righteous judges is we defend the cause of the poor and the oppressed and the needy. Romans 2, 1 and 3 Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things. We know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth. Do you really think any one of you who judges those who does such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? 
Again, this is an amplification of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 7. If you look down on people who are sinning in the same way you are, and you're judging them, you are a plank-eyed judging a speck-eye. Romans 14, verse 9. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue will give praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. Now, right now you might be saying, oh, hang on a minute. Sometimes Paul is saying there needs to be judgment in the church, and sometimes Paul is saying don't judge each other in the church. And yes, that is exactly what is happening. I would say the majority of judging that happens in God's church right now is outside the bounds of Scripture. There is one narrow place where we, and I I think that is speaking to church leaders in some way, shape, or form, but where we are as Christians called to make judgments. And that one narrow place is when somebody is claiming the name of Christ, but is living a lifestyle that is way out of bounds scripturally. Paul says that judgment is appropriate in that situation when it's a righteous judgment done in a righteous, non-self-righteous way. But these other times we judge in so many ways, like when we think we understand somebody's motives for doing something. Listen, you don't know what somebody's motives are just by looking at them, even if you know them. Beloved, I don't even know my motives for some of the dumb things I do sometimes. I'm quite sure that I don't know other people's motives if I can't figure out my own dumb motives. So if I can't figure my dumb motives out, I'm sure it's hard for you to figure out other people's motives. The whole preponderance of these scriptures are pointing us in many ways away from judging except that one narrow 1 Corinthians 5 way. A couple more scriptures. 1 Corinthians 4, 3 and 5. It is of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, says Paul. For I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not justified because of that. It is the Lord who judges me. So don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. What is Paul saying there? He's saying the same thing I just said. He's saying, I don't even know sometimes why I do what I do, but I don't judge myself. I trust the Lord who does judge me. Two more scriptures. Well, maybe three. Colossians two sixteen through 17. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Well, some Christians believe you should meet on... A Saturday, because that is the Old Testament Sabbath. Others believe you should meet on Sunday. Some Christians believe you should celebrate uh, some of the Jewish holidays in the Old Testament. Others say you shouldn't. Some Christians believe you should celebrate Christmas and Easter. Other Christians say it's pagan. Should we judge each other on those decisions? No, no, no. If you're out there posting about how this or that Christian is is doing something wrong because of their decisions one way or the other on those things, you're kind of running afoul of Colossians 2, 16 and 17. 
We're not supposed to judge each other there. There is a judge. It's not us. James 2, 2 through 6. For someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there, or sit on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and may become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Well, we can't Look down on poor people in a judgmental sort of way. And we can't elevate rich people in a judgmental sort of way. And indeed, the Old Testament tells us not to show favoritism to rich or poor or anyone in between in making judgments. James 4.11 Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So I'll close this section on judging with one more scripture passage that has a great gospel truth that reminds us who the ultimate judge is. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. In other words, God is going to judge the world through Jesus. In other words, God is going to judge the world through Jesus. And we look to him as the ultimate righteous judge. So that was a bit longer of a discussion on judging than I thought we would get into, but I think it's such an important passage and uh, such a, a necessary thing to discuss and grapple with. Well, I thought it was worth the extra few minutes. That means this podcast is going to be a little bit longer than the other few, except for yesterday. That's two longies in a row. I'm going to try to cut it back down. My goal is to keep it around mid-20s minutes so as not to overwhelm people. Speaking of not overwhelming you, let's get into the Word of God. We're going to read through Genesis 7, Ezra 7, Acts 7. Genesis 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. You are to take with you seven pairs, a male and its female, of all the clean animals, and two of the animals that are not clean, a male and its female, and seven pairs, male and female, of the birds of the sky, in order to keep offspring alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now I will make it rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing I have made I will wipe off the face of the earth. And Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years when the flood came, and water covered the earth. So Noah, his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives entered the ark because of the flood waters. From the clean animals, unclean animals, birds, and every creature that crawls on the ground, two of each, male and female, came to Noah and entered the, gar the ark, just as God had commanded him. Seven days later, the flood waters came on the earth. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventeenth day of the month, on that day, all the sources of the vast watery depths burst open. The floodgates of the sky were open. 
and the rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. On that same day, Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, entered the ark, along with Noah's wife and his three sons' wives. They entered it with all the wildlife according to their kinds, all livestock according to their kinds, all the creatures that crawl on the earth according to their kinds, every flying creature, all the creatures, all the birds, and every winged creature according to their kinds. Two of every creature's that has the breath of life in it, came to Noah and entered the ark. Those that entered, male and female of every creature, entered just as God had commanded him. Then the Lord shut him in. The flood continued for forty days on the earth. The water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the water. The water surged and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. Then the water surged even higher on the earth, and all the mountains under the whole sky were covered. The mountains were covered as the water surged above them more than twenty feet. Every creature perished. Those that crawl on the earth, birds, livestock, wildlife, and those that swam on the earth, swarm on the earth, as well as all mankind. Everything with the breath of the spirit of life in its nostrils, everything on dry land died. He wiped out every living thing that was on the face of the earth, from mankind to livestock to creatures that crawl to the birds of the sky, They were wiped off the earth. Only Noah was left, and those that were with him in the ark. And the water surged on the earth 150 days. Ezra chapter 7 verse 1, the Christian Standard Bible. After these events, during the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, Ezra, Sariah's son, Azariah's son, Hilkiah's son, Shalom's son, Zadok's son, Ahitub's son, Amariah's son, Azariah's son, Marioth's son, Zerahiah's son, Uzi's son, Buki's son, Abishua's son, Phineas's son, Eleazar's son, the chief priest Aaron's son, came up from Babylon. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he requested because the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Some of the Israelites, priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and temple servants accompanied him to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, during the seventh year of the king. He began the journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month and arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month since the gracious hand of the of his God was on him. Now Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord, obey it, and teach it statutes and ordinances in Israel. This is the text of the letter King Artaxerxes sent Ezra the priest, gave to Ezra the priest and scribe, an expert in matters of God's commands and statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, an expert in the law of the God of the heavens. Greetings. I issue a decree that any of the Israelites in my kingdom, including their priests and Levites who want to try to go to Jerusalem, may go with you. You are sent by the king and his seven counselors to evaluate Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your possession. You are also 
to bring the silver and gold the king and his counselors have willingly given to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, and all the silver and gold you received through the, throughout the province of Babylon, together with the free will offerings given by the people and the priests to the house of their God in Jerusalem. Then you are to be diligent to buy with this money bulls, rams, lambs, along with their grain and drink offerings, and offer them on the altar at the house of your God in Jerusalem. You may do whatever seems best to you and your brothers with the rest of the silver and gold according to the will of your God. Deliver to the God of Jerusalem all the articles given to you for the service of the house of your God. You may use the royal treasury to pay for anything else needed for the house of your God. I, King Artaxerxes, issue a decree to all the treasurers in the region west of the Euphrates River. Whatever Ezra the priest, an expert in the law of the God of the heavens, asks of you must be provided in full, up to 7,500 pounds of silver, 500 bushels of wheat, 550 gallons of wine, 550 gallons of oil, and salt without limit. Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven must be done diligently for the, fa the house of the God of the heavens, so that wrath will not fall on the realm of the king and his sons. Be advised that you do not have authority to impose tribute, duty, and land tax on any priests, Levites, singers, doorkeepers, temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. And you, Ezra, according to God's wisdom that you possessed, appoint magistrates and judges to judge all the people in the region west of the Euphrates, who know the laws of your God, and to teach anyone who does not know them. Anyone who does not keep the law of your God and the law of the king, let the appropriate judgment be executed against him, whether death, banishment, confiscation of property, or imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who has put it into the king's mind to glorify the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, and who has shown favor to me before the king, his counselors, and all his powerful officers. So I took courage because I was strengthened by the hand of the Lord my God, and I gathered Israelite leaders to return with me. And our final reading from today is for Acts chapter 7. This is Stephen's sermon. Stephen was arrested, as you remember yesterday, from Acts chapter 6, and he was testifying before the Sanhedrin. Are these things true? the high priest asked. Brothers and fathers, Stephen replied, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran and said to him, leave your country and relatives and come to the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him move to this land in which you are now living. He didn't give him an inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground, but he promised to give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him, even though he was childless. God spoke in this way. His descendants would be strangers in a foreign country and they would enslave and impress them for 400 years. I will judge the nation that they will serve as slaves, God said. After this, they will come out and worship me in this place. And so he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. After this, he fathered Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs. 
The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all his troubles. He gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who appointed him ruler over Egypt and over his whole household. Now a famine and great suffering came over all of Egypt and Canaan, and our ancestors could find no food. When Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, he sent our ancestors there the first time. The second time, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Joseph invited his father Jacob and all his relatives, seventy-five people in all, and Jacob went down to Egypt. He and our ancestors died there, were carried back to Shechem, and were placed in the tomb that Abraham had brought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. As the time was approaching to fulfill the promise that God had made to Abraham, the people flourished and multiplied in Egypt, until a different king who did not know Joseph ruled over Egypt. He dealt deceitfully with our race and oppressed our ancestors by making them abandon their infants outside so they wouldn't survive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. He was cared for in his father's home for three months, and when he was put outside, Pharaoh's daughter adopted and raised him as her own son. So Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his speech and actions. When he was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. When he saw one of them being mistreated, he came to his rescue and avenged the oppressed man by striking down the Egyptian. He assumed his people would understand that God would give them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. The next day, he showed up while they were fighting and tried to reconcile them peacefully, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why are you mistreating each other? But the one who was mistreating his brother pushed Moses aside, saying, Who appointed you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me the same way you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When he heard this, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. After forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he was approaching to look at it, the voice of the Lord came. I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Moses began to tremble, and he did not even dare look. The Lord said to him, Take off your sandals from your feet, because the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. And now, come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected when they said, Who appointed you ruler and a judge? This one, God sent him as ruler and deliverer through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out and performed wonders and signs in the land of Judah at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. He is the one who was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai with our ancestors. He received living oracles to give to us. Our ancestors were unwilling to obey him. Instead, they pushed him aside and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't even know what happened to him.
They even made a calf in those days, offered sacrifice to the idol, and were celebrating what their hands had made. God turned away and gave them up to worship the stars of the heavens, as it is written in the book of the prophets, House of Israel, did you bring me offerings and sacrifices for 40 years in the wilderness? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Rephan, the images that you made to worship. So I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the testimony in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses commanded him to make it according to the pattern he had seen. Our ancestors in turn received it, and with Joshua brought it in when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before them until the days of David. He found favor in God's sight and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. It was Solomon, rather, who built him a house, but the Most High does not dwell in sanctuaries made with hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth my footstool. What sort of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what will be my resting place? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. As your ancestors did, you do also. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels, yet you have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were enraged and gnashed their teeth at them. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, Look, I see heavens open and the Son of God, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And after saying this, he died. And my friends, that is the word of the Lord. We will be back tomorrow with day eight. If you are joining us late, don't worry about going back and reading or listening to past episodes unless you have the time. The most important thing is to maintain daily Bible reading. So I look forward to reading with you again tomorrow when we will be in Genesis 8, Ezra 8, Matthew 8, and Acts chapter 8. God bless you. Good night. Good afternoon. Good morning.